I'm Eric. And I'm Lauren. We've both volunteered for progressive political causes. And we're both nerds. Growing up, Shira was one of my favorite shows. I've never seen it before. Catching it on Netflix again recently, it struck me how modern the show still feels. Even though it's definitely a product of its time. We're interested in the ways She-Ra presents a modern progressive message. And the ways in which it fails. Join us each week as we dive deep into a different She-Ra story. Always with an eye on how it relates to the present. We're only doing episodes from the first season, so you can follow along on Netflix. But we'll also recap the episodes so you don't have to. We'd love to hear your feedback on everything we're discussing. So please, enjoy this political, nerdy dive into a heck of a cartoon. This This is is She-Ra, Progressive Progressive of Power. Hey, welcome to another episode of She-Ra, Progressive of Power. Lauren pointed out that I lazily almost never say the full title. It is She-Ra, Progressive of Power. Uh, how are you today, Lauren? I didn't say you were lazy. I'd like to say that you point you put that on yourself. That's true. <laughs> Lauren pointed out that I never say the full title, and then I added that I am lazy. We have a lovely logo design, and it really punches that She-Ra is the star of the show. And I was like, wait a second. Do we even say She-Ra ever? Anyway, it's a great logo. You should go see it. It is designed by Claire Friedman, who, if anybody out there is listening who is a fan of Eric, which I can't imagine that's true, but let's just pretend Claire has worked on a lot of my shows and she's great. Did you just address yourself in the third person? I did. Fan (laughs) of Eric. It's it's fine. So Lauren told me something really cool this week that is totally relevant to this show, which is Lauren, you and P.S. We're recording this in mid-August, which is super early because we have a special guest we'll get to in a minute. Uh, and his schedule moves around because of his job. But Lauren told me something very cool this week. Uh, Lauren, who are you going to be for Halloween? She-Ra, Princess of Power. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's awesome. Are you doing like any public parties where like people can come like hang with you as She-Ra? Gosh, it's it's August. I don't, <laughs> I don't, you don't plan have that your far ahead. Book? All right. <laughs> no, I do. I'm going to go full in on it, though. I mean, I am a seasoned cosplayer. And so when it comes to like making armor out of thermoplastics and like getting a sword going i'm gonna do all of it so thank you for introducing me to this character i'm i'm real addicted now you're so welcome i have two questions one is what are your plans for the the jewel and the sword oh i don't know so if i if i can buy a a prefabbed like costume sword i will probably just do my best to paint over what they have already given me i'm pretty good with making paint look like things that it is not so making paint look like wood or stone and i think i could do a pretty good like jewel uh paint job on it if not um i once cosplayed the character of elizabeth from bioshock infinite the video game and she has this big blue brooch and so antique antique brooch is probably the other way I would go. I'm thinking about it. I really am. I like it. <laughs> My second question is, will your husband Clayton be joining you as Bo? <laughs> you know, <laughs> he'd more he'd more likely be like clothed version of Prince Adam if he did anything. Um He's got but like a white stripe situation. He's got he's got more than a little chest hair, so I feel like Bo would be an interesting proposition. I would certainly push for it. I would say yes. However, I hate mustaches, and I know I'm looking at a man with a with facial hair right now, and I'm sorry, but 
if if it if it came down to my husband growing a mustache, I don't think I would be down for it. Well, first of all, this isn't a mustache. This is a very full and lovely beard. <laughs> so costume shops sell mustaches as well. I guess I should be thinking more outside the box. <laughs> So yes, the short answer is absolutely. Look forward to Bo coming to uh, North Center Chicago in October. We will totally post some pictures online of, <laughs> of this. This is great. Uh, so the episode that we're doing today is called Book Burning. And it is, I think, one of maybe only two times in the series that we see the Horde be straight up fascist. It's a very literal title. Very literal. Yeah, I was going to say, you can tell by the title what happens in this episode. So basically, we open in another of Etheria's many small villages in a school and uh, Bo and Adora are in the classroom with bags on their heads, which is a very striking image. <laughs> and uh, and they're going to tell these kids about the, kind of the truth of Etheria, the things that the Horde doesn't want them to know, like the Horde wasn't always there. And there's this one real shitty kid in class named Corey, because it was the 80s. And he's like, well, that's not true. The Horde says that we invited them, and that's the truth. And And at the same time, a couple Horde people are like, coming to check out the classroom because I guess they've heard shit's going down. So Adora and Bo run, they get into a scuffle and that's that except that then the horde sends a bunch of troopers to burn all the books in town because the books are what give the, these citizens their seditious ideas. And they also send a literal snake person to teach the class instead of the a teacher. A couple of snake people. A couple snake people. That's right. One of whom sounds like a really bad Wallace Shawn impression. Uh, that's tongue, and the other one doesn't talk. So they're teaching this class, but the teacher like organizes an underground uh, book reading anyway to teach kids the truth. Well, this shitty kid, Corey, tells on them. The horde troopers bust in, arrest the teacher. So then Adora busts the teacher out as She-Ra. Oh, but then the, the snake people are teaching the class. The kids have this really cool like Spartacus moment where one of the kids calls Tongue Lasher a liar, and then Tongue Lash is like, who said that? And then all the kids in class are like, I said it. No, I said it. And the kids storm out. And Hordak's like, well, fuck this. He's going to abduct all the kids. Tongue Lasher says, well, your schools aren't good enough for your children. So we're going to send them to be educated in the fright zone. And unfortunately, one of the kids that gets abducted is Corey's little sister. And he thinks, well, she must be safe because I've been helping the Horde out. But no, no, no. Then Tongue Lash is like, oh, sorry, Corey. We've just been using you. You kind of suck. Uh, you're lucky that we don't take you too. So then Corey goes and finds the teacher and is very apologetic and they kind of help the rebels uh, beat the horde back and restore order to this town. That's the short of it. And so normally at this point in the episode, I would turn to Lauren as a first time viewer and say, hey, Lauren, what did you think of this? And we're still going to do that, of course. But we have a special guest today whose appearance is relevant for two reasons. Uh, state your name, please, sir. Hi, I'm Tom. This is uh, this is my very good friend Tom. Uh, relevant to the show, Tom is a teacher uh, in. I, what's the political demographic of rural the, Illinois? Yeah, uh, so Trump country. Yeah, farther north than you'd normally think of Trump country, I think. But yeah, it's north of I eighty, <laughs> but it's rural <laughs> Illinois. Right. Yeah. Uh, but Tom also has a very personal connection for me with this material because uh, Tom is kind of the reason that I love She-Ra to this day because in seventh grade he moved to town and he had these mysterious tapes uh, of shows he taped off when he was a kid and they had Transformers episodes on them and I had to see Transformers. But what aired after Transformers on his tapes because they were tapes of a whole block of cartoons was She-Ra. And so I'm like, oh, I remember He-Man. 
I think I remember She-Ra. This should be cool. And then it made me love She-Ra ever since then. So Tom is why you're hearing this show. And this seemed like the perfect episode for him. Uh, so Tom, before we get into She-Ra, what, what is it like teaching in an era of Trump? Like, do you find, no, what do you teach first of all? Well, I'm a, I'm a science teacher uh, and I teach a little bit of everything. Cause like I said, rural. So I've got five different classes. Uh, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it may not be as dire as you might think. Um, like I definitely approach things very carefully. Um, and I know that there are topics that are going to get contentious, although sometimes a little surprised at which ones those are. My background's in physics and physics is generally fairly uncontroversial. Um, but I do teach, I, I taught biology for the first time in a while last year. Um, I teach earth science and those, those can get into some, some dicey, uh, political waters. So, uh, last year I made a point, especially given the, the current political climate to do a specific lesson on climate change. Well, on the climate and climate change in my earth science class, which I hadn't really done before because it's not, it's not my field and it's complicated. It's, it's complicated stuff, but I think it's a good example of, of how I approach the, that kind of material that could be contentious. And I think also about, uh, kind of how you need to if you're going to teach it in a in a place where it might be uh, a contentious issue and that was just to become super knowledgeable about everything that I possibly could like I did a ton of research I was up late for a couple of weeks putting together the powerpoint and just making sure all my i's were dotted and t's were crossed so that I could answer the questions that that I expected to come up and honestly the lesson uh wasn't particularly uh contentious in that class I had a, I had at least one kid who had been pretty openly disdainful of the idea of climate change previous to that. We'd had a, a decent back and forth um, before I did all the, all the research. But um, once you have the information uh, and, and once you know, you kind of got the, the grounding, it's a little easier to approach that subject. Um, the things that I get a little blindsided by are the things that I'm well, obviously not expecting. Uh, like, the fact that humans are part of the animal kingdom or uh, the fact that like gender is more complicated than, than boys have a penis and girls have a vagina. Uh, Hold on. Kindergarten <laughs> cop doesn't lie. Kindergarten cop gave you a, a slightly simplified version of human biology. Damn it. And he's the governor. <laughs> um. So yeah, like, uh, and I'm sure we're going to come up about, some of this stuff because I'm going to move out of my wheelhouse a little bit when we talk about the actual episode. Uh, but I think that there's some lessons to be, to be had there. Yeah. So I guess relevant to the episode and you kind of touched on this, do you have a lot of Corey's in your class? Not a lot. Like I know that there are, I know it's a, a very religious community. I know that there's a strong creationist contingent in, in the community. Um, and, uh, and I'm aware of that, but it doesn't, it doesn't come up much. And, Part of that is a a time problem. Like I didn't get to evolution last year with my first time teaching biology in a few years. Like I, what I said about it and what I did was was what biologists would do, which is to treat it as a matter of fact issue because it is a matter of fact issue. But the actual lesson on it hadn't happened. Yeah, I don't have a lot of the open challenges. What the episode will tell you though is that it only takes one Corey. It definitely only takes one Corey. <laughs> and I didn't. I didn't address this in my recap. Shame on me. There is like an 11th hour revelation after the episode is resolved that Corey's issues stem from him 
uh, being not necessarily illiterate, but like bad at school. Like he's a bad reader, yeah. which I think we can probably unpack that. I, I'll say I wish that we had seen Corey's home life a little bit more. You know, see what his parents are up to with the Horde and the Rebels. But, That's you know. a very important point that I noticed. Like, we see in this tiny village, Corey is the only Horde sympathizer that we actually see. Where is he getting this stuff? Is he like the the Ethereum equivalent of the, like, kid of progressive parents who, like, is all about Kekistan and shit on 4chan or... Uh, or, or or do we just not see his horde sympathizer parents like with their like red uh, bat caps? Well, the 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 entire show we've all, I've only watched four episodes, and I've already seen sort of a pattern that children are often the ones to reach out to Shira because they have the more progressive revolutionary ideas, and we have been presented with a lot of adult characters sort of in this world that are a lot more uh, not only just Horde supportive, but just under the the heel of the Horde some more. And so I kind of just believed that they were they were in this village by default. That they were just like going along with it and Corey reactionarily kind of decided he was a Horde sympathizer. Sure. Well, and also when we see the sister going to get taken away, there was a moment where I entertained the idea that Corey could have independently become a sympathizer with the intention of protecting the rest of his family. Like maybe it was an original idea to say, if I act this way and support the oppressor, when the, when the boots come down, it's, it's not going to be me that's the victim. He's wrong, but that, that could be where it came from as well. Yeah, that's, that's almost explicit in the text. Like he's, he's very much the, uh, like as long as I'm useful, then I'm safe. And he finds out, uh, at the end that that's not that's really not the case i am also appointing a new teacher for the school this is tom hooray for the heart good boy i'll talk to you later my lieutenant in charge of the book collecting will be rattler have you anything to say to the people Rattler says you'd better do as you're told. Or you will be sorry. Tell me, young man, how would you like to be a horde spy? You bet! What would I do? Watch for traitors and rebels. Send secret messages. Wow! You'll make your reports to tongue with this transmitter. Yes, sir! So I do want to talk a little bit about what shocked me about this episode, and that was that the books actually do get burned. Yeah. Um, they don't make it in time. We see Shira and the teacher sort of careening towards the site of this massive burning, and they don't make it. Uh, and as if that wasn't kind of enough of a surprise, there's, I think, maybe three minutes that they could have added to this episode that says for the education system what are we going to do now um, I would have loved to see what the teacher is going to do now or if they take one of the older children and are like okay well now you have to take more responsibility or even just another community bringing them books like 
the horde isn't a threat anymore. That's clear. But what are we going to do to teach our children now that all of our learning materials are gone is a question I would have loved to see answered. I think there could have been a very inspiring like passing of the torch, but the episode just kind of ends. Yeah, we don't we don't get a sense of that loss after that moment where it actually is lost. I think that particular moment, though, is pretty I agree with you. It's very striking. And there's that visual of like Serena on the horse. And then there's like this crossfade where she kind of fades out and then the image of the books burning fades in. So it's like her face superimposed on this pyre of books. And like, that's a pretty intense thing to see in this show. Like it's the, the most real world dark thing. I think we've seen the horde do in a world where like throwing old men in lakes and putting a pie in your face is social injustice. Like, no, they're actually burning books. Right. And I would say thus far, this episode, reminded me the most of current political goings on and some of the current fears of my more progressive friends. There was a line that I wrote down. uh, The rebels are called criminals, bandits, thieves, and robbers. And underneath, I wrote bad hombres. Me too. Yep. Got (laughs) that exact thing in my Uh, notes. Also thugs. Yeah. Uh, Just a couple weeks ago, uh, Trump gave a speech in which he just gave this really graphic and fantastical description of illegal immigrants who are criminals, quote, slicing and dicing beautiful, innocent women. And just the visceral, like, violent imagery of that, the just outright scare tactic of that, it was just blaring in my head during this episode. Like, oh, well, these teachers and these books and these ideas are the equivalent to, you know, beautiful, innocent women getting sliced and diced. And I was just cringing the whole time. Yeah, I think that was, I think that line really stuck out uh, for the exact same reason. Like, it rings very true. There are a few lines in this episode that I wrote down that rang very true to modern politics. Even ones that, and I was, uh, even ones that seemed maybe a few years ago, like they'd be a little too over the top. Um, There's a line when Tongue Lasher uh, says that after a week in the fright zone, these children will believe any lies we tell them. Um, I thought that a few years ago, that would have seemed like a ridiculous thing for someone to say, but that was before alternative facts were a thing. Sure. <laughs> yeah, I thought of that too. There was a previous episode, you know, you can do anything to people who are living in fear. And I'm like, man, the horde just comes out and says what they're about. But we're not that far off today. Um, to, to keep it in the realm of education, one of the things I found myself thinking about a lot was the current uh, the current school choice debate. Mm-hmm. Um, Eric, you already said it, but the line was, this school is not good enough for your children. And I thought a lot about... Uh, CPS or underfunded schools elsewhere in Illinois, how it's so easy once you've pulled funding from schools and stripped them of their resources to point out how inferior they suddenly are and go, oh, don't you wish you had the choice to go somewhere else now that we've completely crippled the thing that you get public access to? And again, similarly, If it were a year ago and I was watching this show, I'm not sure I would have applied it to anything happening now. And and here we are. (laughs) Here we are debating whether or not we should pull more money from a public resource. It's just disheartening. If if the uh, to kind of piggyback off that, if it just so happens that the the schools you get vouchers to uh, to choose to attend teach state approved 
uh, science, for instance, because a lot of a lot of uh, the school choice stuff, a lot of your Betsy DeVos ideal is to move kids into into religious schools that aren't necessarily friendly to the scientific consensus on things like the climate or evolution or the age of the universe. Um, and that kind of fits in here with the fright zone teaching the official horde history of Etheria. Yeah, when we saw when we saw the horde school, they weren't teaching math and science and reading. They were just saying those other people are bad and you should hate them. Yeah. And that was education. Yeah, I think the I mean the, the kind of the most obvious example it it's what Tom was saying is the uh like texts about science particularly evolution. Like there's this debate in especially in southern states like Texas about like you know, you don't need those books that fill your head with lies. Take these church approved books about the you know where we really come from and i on the surface maybe this seems like an issue that cuts both ways that um access to to whatever you want to read and however you should be educated is a bipartisan issue but it almost always feels like it's the right trying to restrict what is taught for some reason well because the right has gotten it into their head that that uh schools and it used to be colleges, but now it's colleges and high schools are these liberal making factories where they're indoctrinating kids with progressive ideology um, because so much of conservatism is is in opposition to fact. And the, the school choice debate, I feel like constantly insists that we compare things that you're not meant to compare. I mean, we're comparing apples to oranges when we say creationism versus evolution. If you were to tell me, I really want children to have the right to choose between two equally vetted scientific studies that, you know, the jury's still out on. Okay, maybe. Or two different religions and you could choose which religion you want to worship. Fine. But instead, we're talking about ditching scientific fact for religion or vice versa. And, you know, those things, in my opinion, aren't meant to be compared. And we aren't meant to be choosing between one or the other. And yet that's what we're being told we should do today. Moreover, the like it's not children making the choice. Like, right, it's, it's their, parents their parents making the choice for them. Or in you know this case, it's the horde making the choice for them. Um, and Eric, you brought up science, but I think the history is more relevant here. You, Texas is the the prime example. There was that story a few years back about the Texas history books that were minimizing the problems of slavery and leaving it out entirely. Uh, the one that came, uh, like the phrase that got passed around online where they, they called slaves like immigrant laborers uh, in one one particular textbook. I remember hearing about that, yeah. And yeah, that I guess that's kind of directly what's happening in this episode, right? Is like history is being whitewashed, horde washed, horde washed, yeah, robot washed. <laughs> the horde is really your friend. The horde wants peace. The rebels are really bad. They're criminals, bandits, thieves, and robbers. No, that's not true. Whoever said that, stand up. Stand up, I said. I said it. No, uh, I said it. No, I said it. I, I, I did. I said it. Stop it. Stop it. Come back here. 
That's something that really stuck out to me too. And that's where I'm going to step outside my wheelhouse a little bit because I'm not a historian or a history teacher, but like it was whitewashed on both sides. And I think that that, that stuck out to me as potentially something that paved the way for, for kids like Corey. Um, because there's a bit when the teacher is, is holding her little study session with the few kids who are willing to come and, and listen to her in her basement, read from books, from banned books at them. She said, uh, one of the kids is reading. And so in spring, the flowers bloomed all over the mountains and Etheria was a peaceful and happy planet. Then the horde invaded, horde invaded and everything changed, which is a little avatar, the last airbendery, but also like, boy, that's a rosy view of history. Like we know, and I actually went back to my like character compendium to look at this. We know that Etheria has a lot of like uh, different kingdoms and different species and different groups that some of which have tense relationships to say that the, that Etheria was grand and wonderful and this utopia until the horde came feels as unrealistic as the horde's version of history where they were welcomed as liberators. Like the, whitewashing history on both sides or like whitewashing history on the the good guys side um which i think we certainly do as well flattens history down in ways that i think are dangerous and i think leave people open to takeovers like like what the horde has done uh we think for instance like racism is a thing of the past that there are a lot of people who think racism ended in 1865 or 1968 uh and that everything since then has just been like racial groups being whiny and wanting more or being lazy or whatever. And a lot of that stems from this idea that, that the problems of the past were a specific kind of thing uh, that we only recognize racism when it's burning crosses and racial slurs. We don't recognize microaggressions as a real thing. We don't recognize systemic oppression as a real thing uh, because we're, we're not taught that way. We're taught in a way that's, like Rosa Parks, Rosa Parks got on a bus and racism ended and, and it leads to a whole host of issues. Like instead of recognizing racism as like a, a system that we're all a part of, and some of us benefit from, and some of us certainly don't. Uh, I think that, that kind of understanding of history and society leaves you open to these kind of, these rewritings of history, whether it's the horde doing it or, you know, the, the GOP. You can't fight propaganda with propaganda, I think is what that comes down to. You can't you can't fight a an oversimplified version of history with a different oversimplified version of history because there's no there's no way to get at that and be like, oh, this is the factual version and this isn't. Like you have to understand that all history comes from a perspective. Well, and this was a comedic part of the episode, but actually looking back on it, maybe not so much. The horde they are the heroes of their own story, right? Mm-hmm. And there was this line at the end where I think it's Hordak just goes, uh, why does everything happen to me? <laughs> like, he's just this bullied snot who is just got a bad luck and is being pushed around. And that's the oppressor saying that. And in the same way that uh, Skeletor had a very similar sentiment in the first episode, Maybe it's not just funny. Maybe these villains really think they're being mistreated and they're bringing justice and She-Ra's just giving them a real hard time for this great stuff that they're doing. Well, and and like to bring it back to modern day politics, like there was that speech that Trump gave at the like was it West Point, some, you know, military academy where he said that he'd been treated more unfairly and more harshly than any other president ever. Like 
They shot four of them. <laughs> also, he was like Five of per- them. basically personally the leader of the birther movement. So yeah. that's extra ironic coming from the source. No, that doesn't. I'm getting out of here. Oh, why does everything happen to me? One of these days, Shira. That was a very Trump moment. Uh, for a minute of levity, did you guys catch the Jeb Bush moment? Please clap. <laughs> yeah. Horn says something like, people of Northland, we are here with a gift to your children. And everyone's like silent. And then Mantena goes, applaud, <laughs> which is just the please clap moment. He actually elbowed the person next to him yeah. in the ribs. I hope some listener creates a Jeb-like logo for us. That's like, Hordak exclamation point. <laughs> A fly. <laughs> uh, another bright spot in this dark conversation. I found Lookie in this episode. Yeah, nice. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I do want to get to one more funny thing before we move on to the conclusion. So Shira slices a lake out yes. of the earth <laughs> and uses it to put out a village's worth of, of fire and flame. And... I just, I found both ends of that equation to be very troublesome. I mean, first of all, the massive flood damage that she clearly causes, but also the ecosystem needed that lake, Shira. You just took like a habitat out of the planet. You just removed it wholesale. And (laughs) that's probably the biggest, most ridiculous action sequence we've seen so far. As she was doing that, I'm like, this is a dubious plan at best. Like, she cut out the entire lake bed and said, uh, because Swiftwind asks her, how are you going to carry all that water? And she says, with a giant bowl. And so she just, like, cuts a bowl out of the ground that happens to contain the lake and then throws it. And I was waiting for... really good aim. Yeah. Well, not just aim, but spin, because the whole bowl doesn't tip over until it's over the town, and then it rotates again, and we don't see what happens to that literal tons of earth and rock. But there is probably some, like, other small village right now that is, like, raining... (laughs) Yeah. Raining dirt. (laughs) Right. It's very much like a Silver Age comic writer who doesn't understand science, and they're like, how does Superman get out of this one? Oh, lakes have water. All right. That is literally a part of Superman 3. So, yeah. Uh, Oh, that's not so Silver Age. (laughs) Prior Age. Yeah. So, overall, what's what's your your guys' response to this episode? I'll say I I like this one. I think it it swings for the fences and some of, like, the silliness in this one doesn't connect for me as well as maybe, like, in Seahawk because it is so grave. But there's – some of the images in here are, like – really powerful mostly the bags on the heads and the burning books and it really works for me see the bags on the heads didn't work for me um i think that it muddied the message to have these two members of a secret society wearing hoods on their heads coming to tell children the truth about things like that may have may have mixed the message a little bit for my part this was my favorite episode thus far i think at least through the lens of this show i think it had a lot to offer in terms of issues that were clearly politically relevant decades ago, cyclically becoming politically relevant again. There was so much to mine here uh, in the language of our current president and his staff. And also, just as a, a storytelling kind of triumph, we finally see just how awful the Horde is. 
um, they're, it's, they've just been silly kind of up until this point and seeing their, their real acts of oppression and, and violence and not just that, not just the fire and the burning, but how they really intend to shift the narrative in their favor just for the rest of time. It was way more sinister and way more thoughtful about the future and upholding their reign than in previous episodes. I remember early on in this podcast, I was like, "Man, is the horde this funny and this clumsy because they're they've gotten they've gotten lazy? Like, has it just been so long that they're losing their grip?" And this is the episode that says, "No, the horde is stronger than ever. They're planning ahead, and we need the rebellion now because otherwise." The, the next generation, we're going to lose it. And that was very, very powerful. So I have to tell you, next week, uh, next week we're doing a show called The Price of Freedom, Ooh. which is the culmination of that. And I think you will be on board. <laughs> so I am excited to see what you think about that. But yeah, the the sinisterness, like we talked a lot about how the Horde is the symbolic abstraction, right? And how there's no one-to-one correspondence between the Trump administration and the Horde. And there still isn't, but this is really close. Like this, yeah, the narrative controlling, the plotting for the future, it's very close. It's very, this episode is woke is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> There's like, you mentioned like the, the Horde being clumsy and, and inept. And I think that if anything, the last six months have told us that clumsiness and inept aren't necessarily an impediment to fascists becoming That's powerful. That's true. But uh, this was a very realistic kind of evil. Like the I, I one of my favorite uh, entries in the He-Man She-Ra mythos is the Christmas special in which we see Skeletor say uh, that he doesn't like uh, feeling good. He likes feeling evil like that's about the level that you expect from from these these villains in these uh, 80s cartoons to see them enacting what is a very real kind of evil is is a shock to the system and it, and it really works and like a direct reference to nazism i looked up the history of book burning and yeah like the 1933 nazi book burning rally like that's that clearly is what they're referencing it's the most famous example it's a tactic that's been in use ps since 700 bc mostly to suppress other people's religious texts but the nazis did it best well and i wonder i wonder how much of it comes out of out of the 80s too like I don't know how much burning there was, but like certainly like the the religious groups of even going into the 60s burning Beatles records and Elvis record, records. Um but He-Man uh which you know this show's predecessor uh was targeted by those same kinds of groups. I don't know that there was necessarily a burning of action figures at the time, but there would have been certain certainly similar activism against it and I don't know how much that might have informed this as well. It also brings in a little bit of 1984, doesn't mm-hmm. it? Uh, Fahrenheit 451? Oh, yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Probably both, yeah. In 1984 is the thought police. Fahrenheit yeah. 451 is the actual like burning. <laughs> so I, I guess all I'm trying to say about bringing that in is like this has been our post-apocalyptic fiction for decades. It was a, a fearful look at the future and it was supposed to be the place we're never supposed to go as a society. And it's weird that there are days in 2017 that I legitimately go to bed at night, like wondering if that stuff's going to come true. Maybe that's extreme. Maybe that's high drama, but school choice and making sure various types of religion is uplifted and various types of science are, are dismissed does make me feel that 
man, post-apocalyptic fiction from that long ago, this show from that long ago, maybe not so far-fetched after all. So let me put that to you maybe as a way to close out our main discussion. We saw what Serena did in this episode, kind of making her own underground school when the truth gets censored. Uh, As an educator, do you ever feel like it would get to that point? And like, do you feel that that is something that your peers or you would do if you had to? I mean, I think if you look at at teachers, like they're a a sacrificial bunch by nature because the job requires it. Like we're not doing this for the money. Um, And, uh, and so I think you would see a lot of that. And I think you do see a lot of that. I think there's, I think there's a lot of education going on in what is now a digital underground. I think we're all learning from that. If we're, if we're paying attention, I really do appreciate the approaches to teaching that we see in this episode. We get very short glimpses of of uh, of three different methods, and we see that tongue lasher needs like some classes on classroom management, and we see that uh, Serena has a fairly simplistic and simplified view of things, um, and I think that that's that's fairly common. But then there's Adora, um, who who we only see a very short bit of her story. Um, when she's responding to Corey. And at first it's, it's a back and forth kind of, nah, yeah, uh, and I think that illustrates like a thing that you can easily fall into with these kinds of disagreements in, in the classroom. Cause you don't necessarily have the background or certainly the evidence on hand to be able to counter, uh, the claims of, of propaganda. Um, but then she starts telling her personal story and we only get a very small bit of it where she says, you know, she used to be in the horde, until she saw things until until she saw the truth and i like to think that if we'd gotten further in that that the the personal story the details she could bring as someone who's been there who has a personal narrative like that's the thing that people connect with is is those personal stories that make it much more real than than any than even the stuff that that you're going to find in the dry history books that the the teachers reading in the underground those personal narratives are what's going to make the the story real to the people who who have bought the propaganda. I would then like to circle back to one of the first things I said, which was this episode doesn't tell us what happens next. Mm -hmm. But if you look at our world right now, remember some things that happened early on in the Trump presidency, such as the Twitter accounts for things like the National Park Service and other uh, national voices of science were just taken down and the way that those organizations responded was this brilliant wave of whatever we don't care and they brought up their resistance rebellion based twitter accounts to continue releasing the information and continuing to spread the message and i actually think some of those twitter accounts gained more publicity than they ever would have had they not been shut down in the first place. And I'd like to think that in our world and in the world of She-Ra, the Horde, as they continue to try and silence the message, people are just going to get educated on the message in, in better and louder ways. Your teacher has already told you that Etheria was not always ruled by the Horde. Before they came, this was a lovely, peaceful planet. That's not true! Corey! Please don't interrupt. That's all right. Um, I'd like to answer. It's the truth, Corey. The Horde invaded Etheria and took away our freedom, our liberty. That's 
That's a lie! The Horde says that they came here because they were invited. They brought peace to Etheria. That's a Horde lie. I used to believe their lies, too. You see, I was a member of the Horde until I found out what they were really like. Uh-oh, and here they are. So let's talk about the moral. It's everyone's favorite segment. I found you, Lucky. I, I'm proud. I also saw Lucky this time. That, that We're good. We're good at this. Pros at this point. So here's what Lucky says. You know, sometimes we don't appreciate things until they're taken away from us. Take books, for instance. For instance. It would be terrible if they were taken away. Being free to read anything we wish is a right we must never lose. Bye now. Well, see ya. That certainly was tangential. <laughs> yeah. It starts out as a message on taking things for granted, and it ends on a more literal message about books. <laughs> that's something that, like, that's definitely in the show. Like, and I think that's definitely a writer thing. Uh, that there are episodes where they're like, let's go to our, you know, the greatest resource, our library. Like, I know there's a He-Man episode <laughs> that's basically like that. There's there's a very pro-reading bias uh, among the the scripts for this show, so it's not surprising that they went there, as opposed to, this is what fascism looks like, smash it. But I would like... I would reverse that. I think like it's expected that the moral is about books and it's weird that it starts by trying to triangulate it through taking things for granted. Cause like no one in this episode takes anything for granted. No one's like, we don't need those books. They'll always be here. Oh no, they're burning. <laughs> <laughs> like that would be a more appropriate message. I, I don't know. I, I guess for me, this falls in the category of like milk toast moral. Like it's pretty much right. But it's not stated as strongly as the episode actually makes the case. So, all right, Tom, usually Lauren or I do this, but as the guest, I think it's to you. What what would you make the moral of this episode? Well, part of me wants to hear Lookie, like, say how to join your local Antifa organization, but I don't think that was quite right at the time. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a lot of it, is, it comes down to don't don't just believe what you're told which would be kind of ironic told to you at the end of the episode. There's not an, there's not an easy answer to this one, except that like Corey got all his news from one source, one biased source and, uh, and didn't approach a plethora of sources, which is what I think you end up having to do uh, both on Etheria and in this world. I think, um, yeah, Corey was a little, a uh, little Alex Jones watcher, a little, little Alex Jones, watcher little Hordak youth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think maybe if you're going to encourage people to look at a variety of sources now in the age of the internet, there also needs to be a little bit of a lesson on like what is a credible source right. versus what is anti-vaxxing Wahoo language. But <laughs> still Yeah, that's that's one of the big challenges of teaching, not in necessarily the Trump era, but in the twenty first century is is adapting to the fact that every all facts are available online. You just have to be, figure out how to find them. You know what else I think is a good moral, though, is something Lauren said at the very beginning of the episode. It only takes one Corey. <laughs> it does. Thanks for listening to She-Ra Progressive of Power. If you like our show, you can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. We'd super appreciate it. You can also send in any feedback you have to our email address, progressiveofpower at gmail.com, or as a comment on our podcast page at progressiveofpower.wordpress.com. We hear the words fake news thrown around a lot these days, but what does that really mean? 
The News Literacy Project is a nonpartisan, nonprofit organization working with educators and journalists to help middle and high school students around the country determine fact from fiction on the internet. That's something we could all stand to get better at. You can read more about their mission and support their important work by visiting thenewsliteracyproject.org. For the honor of love.